So we're heading in this series. It's called Better. Jesus is greater. Now, over the next uh, month, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus. And, and I can tell you, this is a message for the now. This is a message that we all need to be hearing now. Why do I know this? Because everywhere I go, guess what they're preaching about? Jesus. Why? Because that's how the Holy Spirit works. There's, there's times in our life that, that everywhere you go, you hear the same message over and over and over again. Why is that? Because I think he wants us to get a clue. And right now, that's the clue he wants us to get. It's the clue about Jesus and what does Jesus represent and why is Jesus important to us? Well, he's the, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would not have the freedom that we should be walking in. So today, I want to start off, and we're going to go through a lot of Scripture, and I want you to hang on, because I know sometimes when we start reading Scripture, it's kind of like uh, the morning devotion time. You can have a choice. You can get up and have coffee and do your devotions and really engage in it, or you can lay in bed and try to stay awake as you awake as you read through it. And so today, I want you to be awake and alert as we go through the Scripture. This is a story, and I want to thank John Thompson. Years ago, he gave me a book that he was a part of helping to get written, and it was about this story that we're going to go through today. It's called The Road to Emmaus. And I, and I need to get back in that book again and pull that one back up, out again. But this story is about the story of the road to Emmaus. Now, this is found in, in, uh, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke particularly. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 today. But what this is to set the scene, Jesus had already died and had, and had resurrected again. And had come back to life, I should say. So he died for our sins. Amen. He came back to life in three days. And he happens across these men that are walking on the road to Emmaus. And I'm going to start in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem. So that would be like walking from here to Davis. So these men are walking down the road between here and Davis, so you can picture that. They're probably out around Arrow Point Kennels somewhere between here and Davis. And they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. Now, what had happened? What had happened at that point? Jesus had died, and they had, I can imagine Imagine what was going on. Imagine Jesus had come to Woodland. And when he came to Woodland, I, he was noticing some of the things that were wrong about religion in that place. And he was trying to set them right, correct some things that were wrong. Why? Because the lost weren't able to encounter freedom because freedom wasn't the religion of the day. Rules were the religion of the day. And he was saying, no, it's not about rules and religion. It was about having a relationship with God the Father. And so he came to Woodland. We'll call it, it was actually Jerusalem, but we're going to call it Woodland. And so when he got there, people did not like his message because he was actually undermining their agenda. Do you have an agenda? What's, what is your agenda? What is the agenda of the community that you live in? I want you to think about Woodland. What is the agenda of Woodland? Is it Christ? Is it freedom? So anyhow, here's, here's kind of my thought about that. 
If we really start to proclaim Christ crucified and that we can walk in freedom and, and have joy in our hearts in all that we do, there could be attacks that come our way as they attack Jesus. He's in Woodland, and he's now start stirring things up. And so they, they uh, get to this place where they don't like it. They're going to kill him. But can you imagine the drama and the chaos that was going on in that day? It was chaotic. So these men are walking down the road. They're talking about how uh, dramatic the last few days had been. I imagine in some ways there was fear and there was hopelessness. I imagine that today there's fear and hopelessness in, in this room and in the community that we're in. They were probably trying to figure out what their next step ought to be, what their future may hold for themselves. The human condition was one that was lost. So they were walking and talking and discussing together, and then Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, when I was reading this story, I was thinking, Doug, you've read this story numerous times. You've heard this story over and over again, and if you're not careful, it's just boring. Who likes boring? Some of us that are stressed are like, yeah, I like to be bored. We have one person that likes boring. But as I was reading this, I thought, I was like, God, you got to make this come alive for me. And I got two or three verses into it, and then it hit me. That there's so many of us walking through life from one occasion of, of traumatic or crisis or trauma and crisis to another place. We're so busy walking from Woodland to Davis or from crisis to another crisis. And then what happens is in between the crisis of life, what do we discuss with one another? The crisis we're leaving and the crisis we're leave, heading to. And so we get so focused on what the crisis is in our life, the hurt, the anxiety, the anxiousness that creeps in. But what's interesting as I was reading this story is that when we're walking from point A to point B in life, and we're in the midst of crisis, and our entire focus is on the issues of life, guess what Jesus is doing? He's drawing near. He's coming closer to us because our focus is, is all on the wrong things. Our focus is all on death. And I want to encourage us today, when your focus is all on death, know that he is drawing near to you. In verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, crisis, I'm sure, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know if I heard this in Sunday school, but I've always read this verse as if Jesus kept them from recognizing him. Now, I, I studied it over and over again this week, and I don't think it was Jesus that kept them from being them being able to recognize him. I don't think that was Jesus. You know what kept them from recognizing Jesus was their focus. Their focus was on the crisis in life. It wasn't on Jesus. We get so caught up with the with the human condition that we can't see when he's right next to us and he's available to us and he wants to help us. That's I was so encouraged. I was like, well, how come they couldn't see him? He's right there. 
later on in this passage, he says, oh, foolish people. <laughs> I imagine he's really worked up at this point. I'm right here. How many times have you walked through life, though, with so much despair? There's no hope for tomorrow. You've lost hope because of the condition you're in, the road that you're walking on. Now, what's interesting is as he draws near to them, they don't all of a sudden turn off that road and go to another road. They stayed in the same place. And they had their focus still on the crisis. Later on in this passage, that's where hope starts to enter in. Let's continue on. So their their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And verse 17, let's And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Sour pusses. That's what my dad used to say. Why do you have such a sour puss face? He says, you know, smile. But these guys didn't have anything to be smiling about because of what? Because they were still letting their crisis, their human condition, dictate their countenance. Next verse. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. During worship, go back to that verse real quick, verse 17. What are you discussing so intently? That's my question for you. That's a question for all of us. As you are walking, what are you discussing so intently? What are you discussing, people? What am I discussing so intently? What is my focus on? Is it on politics? Is it on tragedy? What am I talking about? What am I intently focused upon? That's a challenge for us to consider. Now, what they were focused on wasn't positive because sadness was written across their faces. In, during worship today, uh, uh, Melinda has said it, that the Lord was showing her this passage found in Isaiah 25, verse 8. And it says, He will swallow up death forever. So I believe that they were discussing intently what? death. Intently, they were focused on the death of Jesus. But he was prophesied that he would swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces. Now hear that passage and see what's happening here. Isaiah prophesied that this event on the road to Emmaus would take place. This is awesome stuff. So years and years, thousand years or so, hundreds of years at least, before this time, Isaiah says that he will wipe away the tears from their faces. He will swallow up death forever, which he did when he went into the grave, and the Lord will wipe away tears from their faces. This is real stuff. This isn't... uh, a story that that is fictional. This is factual. And he goes on in Isaiah verse 
8 of chapter 25, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This passage in, in, in the road to Emmaus found in Luke 14, they were transitioning in this place of death. They were focused intently on death. They were focused on their crisis of life in that moment. They had sadness written across their faces. Have you had sadness in your life? Do you, do you struggle with sadness on a day-to-day basis? Well, God has made it possible that you, he could wipe that away from your life. The next verse, verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So as Jesus is saying, hey, what's your problem? What's going on? What are you so focused on? See, Jesus, I, Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew he had just died. He happened to have been there. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a secret to him, and I'm sure he knew everybody in that region was all talking about it because that was kind of the event of the day. But why does he ask a question that he knows the answer to? Because he's not looking for the answer. He's trying to help us find the answer. God doesn't ask questions because he's dumb. He asks questions because he wants to give you a clue. So, I'm going to help you come up with an answer by asking a question that would lead you to that place. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He says, why are you so focused intent? What are you so focused intently about? And Cleopas says, well, are, are you the only one to ever come to Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Well, of course he does. <laughs> Next verse. Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? Again, what things are you talking about? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But look at this. They still lacked belief. They still were calling him a good man. They had not quite gotten to the point where they understood him as Savior of the world. He was a good man, and we hope that the good man will save us. And, and it didn't happen. He died. And, and because he died, we're hopeless again. We didn't truly have a belief to begin with because he was just a prophet. He was mighty in deed and in word. But they hadn't seen him as Savior yet. How many come to church because they want to know a good life? But you haven't quite got to the place of walking a life of freedom because you're saved. Saving isn't something that you do. It's something that you receive. And sometimes we go to church because we want to be good. We don't go to church because we want to be saved. This is a challenge for me. Are you looking for a good man to save you, or do you believe you're saved? Are you hoping to be saved, or are you already saved? I'm going to keep saying it. 
because I need you to help me preach it. Are you hoping to be saved or are you already saved? So then I'm going to go back a couple of verses and I'm going to say what is written all over your faces. What are you discussing so intently? Are you discussing the fact that you're saved and you know it? Or are you discussing the fact that you're hoping you'll get saved? Walk in your salvation. Confident about who you are in Christ. I am a new creation. No longer are the things of this world going to impact me or affect my life because I'm a new creation. I can't be affected by the things of this world. The crisis that happens all around me cannot affect me or hurt me. Why? Because I'm saved. And I know it. So I'm going to walk in that salvation. Head up high. I want to walk on the road between Woodland and Davis and say, you know what? He died. So I could be saved. And and you can see it all over my face. I'm happy and I know it. Say amen. Amen. How many remember that? You just dated yourself. So so did I. All right, where are we? Verse 19. We got a lot to get through. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Verse 20. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to the condemned, to be condemned to death. And crucified him. Oh, and then verse 21. Again. These were, these two men on the road to Emmaus were considered to be disciples, followers of Christ. They were learning from the Messiah, the teacher. We as Christians, as believers, were to be disciples and followers of Christ. But as disciples, these men said, but we had hoped not, they did not say, we have hope. They said, we had hoped, which means that they had hope. They, 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 they were hoping while he was alive, but now that he's dead, they've lost hope. Because they had hoped. They didn't currently have hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since they, these things have happened. The third day was important because they were told on the third day he would come back again. And they got news of that. And it goes on and t- tells about that. It says, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. In the next verse. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but, but him they did not see. And this is why he has to say what he says. You foolish people. Why does he say that? Because I said I was going to die and I was going to come back in three days and you go to the tomb and it's gone and you're still saying I had hoped. Are you foolish? Now, now, how does this relate to us today? Well, I came to the altar and I got saved. It was amazing. The birds were chirping. Butterflies were flying. I had a, I had a, a, a bug land right on my nose. It was a beautiful thing if you earned the ladybugs. 
No, we remember that time. We remember the salvation experience, and it was awesome, awesome, awesome. We spent time with Jesus, and, and we could sense him in our presence. We couldn't see him, but we could sense him. We knew it was real. But then we start down this road between crisis to crisis, and then we start to lose hope. We lose hope that it was actually real. Why? Because this thing called doubt creeps in. And doubt is of the enemy. It is not of God. So how do you combat doubt? It's through truth, but you just tell doubt to go. I have to lay down my vain imagination and say, doubt, go. Doubt has no room in my mind or in my heart. And so when doubt starts to creep in, I have to come against doubt and say, doubt, be gone. And in Jesus' name, I'm going to walk in truth and faith. You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures like we saw in Isaiah. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into Entering his glory. Next, next passage. Verse 27. Is it there? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Their focus was off. And so what Jesus begins to do is he puts glasses on them, spectacles in front of their eyes, and he starts to reveal to them all the passages of scripture that were available in those days what the prophets had written. He drew near to them as they were in the midst of their crisis walk. And then he starts to open up their minds and their hearts. What verse are we on here? So verse 28, they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. And this is important. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. They didn't know him as Jesus yet. Remember, their eyes were still blinded to that. But there was somebody encouraging them in that moment. And in the midst of their despair, they invited the encourager to come and be with them. How many times in our life do we go through life of despair? We walk through life in despair and discouraged, and the encourager, sometimes it's the form of another believer or a friend, comes into our life, and we don't want them to be there because we want to stay in our place of despair. Guess what will happen? If you don't invite the encouraging ones in your life in, you'll get to dine in your despair. You'll get to go home and be in despair because what's going to happen is the encouraging one's going to continue to move on and go farther. Because there's somebody else that needs that encouragement. If you're the encourager, I'm going to ask you that when you're encouraging people and they invite you in, take the inconvenient time to do that. Be the encourager that will take time. And if you're in despair, being the one that will invite the encourager in. So as they invited the encourager in, because he was going to go farther... He comes and dines with them. Let's go to that next passage in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And I almost wonder, when he broke bread with them, did he say, as we see in 
in 1 Corinthians. This is my body. As he's sitting at the table with them and, and he's revealing all this scripture to them, he's talking about, you know, when Isaiah said this or when Jeremiah said that and, and the prophets before us were saying these things, uh, it was actually leading up to the moment that they crucified Jesus, this guy that you don't realize is sitting right in front of you, and, and he rose again in three days. That was all fulfillment. So they're, he's opening up their hearts. And as he's opening up their hearts, I imagine he takes the bread and he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body, which is for you. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he's gone. Why is that so important? Let's go on to the next passage. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. You see, being saved is a heart issue. Accepting, and it says in scripture, if you, and we talked about this last week, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. The, the enemy says, I'm going to throw doubt at you, which will help to wipe out hope, and get you to start thinking that the belief in your heart wasn't really real. So then what God said was, you know, Jesus later, he ascends to heaven. He says, I'm going to send, this is for us today, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, I heard this this weekend, Jesus had, what, 12 disciples, and the Holy Spirit has 2.2 billion. Think about it. The Holy Spirit's with us now. But in that, there's these things called the gifts of the Spirit. In that, you start to see signs and wonders and people being healed. Why do I know that signs and wonders happen today? It's because if God can help us to see Him, it will reconfirm in our hearts our belief for Him. See, our eyes and our heart need to go together. Just as our mouth confesses He is Lord, our eyes need to sometimes see proof that He is Lord. And for them, He opened up their eyes as He broke bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. And then all of a sudden, what had been going on in their heart, where I believe, they said, didn't our hearts burn? You know what I think was going on there? I believe that the, 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 the doubt and the, and the fear and the despair and all of those things that had crept into their heart was being singed away. I think as he was talking to them, he was beginning to help their hearts heal. And he was burning away all the things in their heart that would cause doubt to creep in. But you have to invite in the encourager. You have to let him speak to you. You, you have to let him be a friend. Those, they said, did not our hearts burn within us as while he was talking to us on the road. Our doubt can overwhelm our sight sometimes. Sometimes you can't even see things clearly. Have you ever been that person that said, how come nobody around me has common sense anymore? Have you ever said that? First of all, I've said that, and it's very critical, and we all need to stop saying that. But 
because we don't want to be negative. But I believe that today there's so much fear and there's so much doubt in the world that we live in that we cannot see clearly what it is God has put right in front of us. I believe our focus is so skewed and so off that, w- that we can't even see that Jesus is walking next to us. We get so, so caught up in the issues of the day that we don't realize that salvation is there and that we're in it. Our doubt can overwhelm our sight, but Jesus is greater. This series is called Better, but Jesus is greater than He's greater than our problems. He's greater than our fears. He's greater than our doubt. He's greater than our focus. He's greater than just being a good man. Jesus is greater than all the things they tried to do throughout the Old Testament. We're going to look at the Old Testament and all the things that happened in the Old Testament pointing to what? Jesus who's greater. But today I want you to consider this. Is he greater for you? Is he greater than your doubt? He gives sight to the blind. Are you blinded by your doubt? Will you walk out of here today frustrated and concerned with life, or will you walk out of here today with your heart singed and purified by His truth, by His promises? What are you going to walk out of here as today? So after all this, now that they have belief in their hearts, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them all gathered together. Verse 34, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and and has appeared to Simon. I imagine that on that seven-mile trek from Davis back to Woodland, it was a little different. It was a lot different. In fact, it was probably faster They probably got to see the scenery a little bit more because their head was up. How are you traveling? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Are you traveling on a road of crisis and despair? And some of us do. Some of us end up there even though we don't want to. And this isn't a thing to say, stop traveling on that road. I'm not saying to stay off the road of crisis and despair. In fact, it was the same road. The same road that took him to Emmaus was the same road that brought him from Emmaus back to Jerusalem. The road doesn't change, but it's, it's, it's our focus that can be changed. And it, as our focus changes, then hope starts to enter in again. We're going to close, and as we close this message or this time this morning, the service, I hope you leave encouraged. I don't want us to leave with the wrong focus. I won't say this as Jesus did. So I'll repeat it. All foolish people. What he was really saying is, are you kidding me? Seriously? I'm right here. Don't. 
We just have to get a clue. And that used to be such a negative statement, but Jesus is asking you questions every day. Why? Because he wants you to get a clue. He wants you to get a clue as to what the real answer is to your issues. He wants you to get a clue to what your real what the answers are to your real problems. Jesus is the answer. Say Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is greater. For hundreds of years, they were saying what was going to happen. And then it happened. And is happening still today. We didn't had hoped. We have hope. It's a current thing that we can walk in today. I'm not saying you won't walk on that road. But when you're on the road, pray that you get a clue. Pray that you'll start to understand that I need to invite in the encourager. I get the phone calls. I'm in despair. I'm hurting. Pastor, will you encourage me? Those are, those are the good calls. Because it's not my words that will set anybody free, but it's the words that God gives us that will set people free. So be encouraged Jesus died for you so that you could be set free and have hope. That you could run back that, hey, Jesus is around. I'm sure they were like, "Uh, yeah, we kind of figured. Will you encourage one another and be encouraged? Jesus is, say, greater. Jesus is greater. Justin, I'm going to pray for you. If you're if you're an intercessor and you're here right now and you, and you want to know how to pray, I'm going to say pray this way. Pray against doubt right now. You have a word?